again, strikes out a lot of people, doesn't walk a lot of people. It seems to be a pattern here. <laughs> he has a... Sorry, I had a little something <laughs> in my throat. <laughs> Well, the thing is, well, if they're going to lock us out, lock them, lock them rather than lock us out. Well, then they get like, we're involved. Lock the players out. You can read that one of two ways. Either the Blue Jays are in serious talks for Yusei Kikuchi or that <laughs> Scott Boras wants a bigger market for Yusei Kikuchi. And welcome to episode number 225 of Artificial Turf Wars. No... That's not why ticket prices are going up. I am your host, Greg Wazdowski, and I am joined by the indomitable Joshua Hausen. Josh, how's it going? Not too bad. Kind yeah, of an exciting I, time. I feel like you, uh, your excitement level has risen exponentially in the last two weeks because I used to not see anything in our offline chat or online chat from you for, for great swaths of time. And then all of a sudden... Greg, we're going to record tonight? We're going to record? <laughs> yes, we're going to record. <laughs> because well, we need to... Now, in fairness, usually we have a schedule because we're doing it during the season. And then usually during the offseason, nothing is happening. So we're going to talk about Kevin Gaussman. We're going to talk about losing Robbie Ray sort of in the mix there. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about the Blue Jays' philosophy here. Um, because of course Marcus Semyon is also not coming back. Uh, there was the, the signing before all of the big big uh, numbers dropped of Yumi Garcia. Um, nice note that David Phelps, who had an unfortunate uh, first tour with the Blue Jays uh, last year, is coming back. Uh, we probably should talk about this whole December first lockout and how it's affect free agency. We have your questions, some of which reflect the stuff where. Um, going to be knee deep in talking about but many of which have a different angle on it so we'll go over those and then uh on behalf of a certain free agent we are going to hand out a gold star because he's very busy to other free agents who may have inadvertently helped him out uh wow just these blue jays they they uh they came to kick ass and chew bubble gum and they it's november 29th and there's no bubble gum in the building <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, there. There is some, you know, there's a lot of movement happening on this market, and then, but none of the top guys were going, and we all knew the Jays were going after these top guys. It's like, oh man, is the lockout going to happen before any of these guys sign? Because we talked about this in the last episode, right? This idea that, you know, these top guys might not sign. Yeah, we were wrong. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of missed where the the uh, emphasis was. So I, I I think the free agent you know, class. Uh, the pitchers specifically. I mean, certainly uh, many other guys have signed, but, but the, the, the way the pitching broke down, the bird in the hand of a signed contract under the old CBA is obviously worth the potential two in a bush of whatever's going to happen for the next CBA. Yeah. Who knew? Not us. Who knew? <laughs> Definitely yeah, we, not like, us. Like I said... I mean, we could play the do-over stinger right now and give it to ourselves. <laughs> this was like a week ago, and we got that one wrong. Yeah. Uh, but again, you guys keep us asking questions about what's going to happen in the future, so we keep answering them. So I hold uh, I hold our listeners responsible um, for forcing us into such things. That's probably not going to fly either. All right, let's talk about what actually did happen as opposed to what we thought would happen. Uh, the Blue Jays, after teeing up in our last podcast, 
$115 million to extend Jose Barrios and decided that, yes, indeed, filling out the rotation with a free agent starter who was not Robbie Ray, was just fine, and Kevin Gaussman, formerly of the San Francisco Giants and way formerly of the Baltimore Orioles when he sucked, is a $110 million <laughs> Toronto Blue Jay. Yeah, for five years. And what you just said about his time his time with the Orioles is kind of the reason that there's a mostly positive but not like, oh, my God, we got Kevin Gossman reaction to this deal. Because he was well, – he was he didn't suck with the Orioles, but he was – he wasn't – he never lived up to his promise with the Orioles. No, because his his – you know, it's just to grab one stat that I understand is not your favorite, but but his whip with the Orioles hovered around 1.3. And anybody over 1.25 per inning, in my mind, starts to have problems limiting um, damage because they're just starting to get up into the too many runners on base and too many pitches used kind of thing. So you can't really excel while that many guys are getting on base against you. That's I not mean, the case. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, there are guys who can do it, uh, but it's not an easy thing to do. And so, you know, he, he, it's funny because this is the third time that the Blue Jays have tried to get Kevin Gossman. They tried to get him after 2019 when he was he split the season between the Braves and the and the and the Reds, and that was the first season he posted an elite strikeout rate, struck out 10 batters per nine innings. And he's always been a good, decent enough control guy, right? He's only had one season in his career where he walked more than three batters per nine. I don't have the percentage stats up in front of me, but he's pretty good at it. But once he started missing bats along with that, it's like, okay, well, maybe now we can stop the seeing, stop seeing so many hits, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so they tried to get him 2019, went to the Giants, tried to get him after 2020, took a Giants qualifying offer. So they tried to get him after 2021 and finally did for five years, $110 million. <laughs> he's probably the most expensive he's ever been to acquire, but they got him. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, and, and you know, it, it's kind of one of the things that you want, you want to see when you, when you look at something like this, where you see a guy's numbers change like this, right? Where, you know, you, like you said, he wasn't very good with the Orioles. Now he had some seasons where he was actually solid, but he was never, he, he was a top pick. He was a top prospect. He never lived up to it until, Recently, and what he's done over the last three seasons is he started throwing his world-class split-finger fastball more and throwing his not-so-world-class slider less. <laughs> it's kind of a simple thing when you think about think about it conceptually. But, and, you know, Jays fans listening to this are probably like thinking about to say what I'm going to say is crazy because they just watched Robbie Ray. But the conventional wisdom is you cannot succeed being mostly a two-pitch pitcher in the major leagues as a starting pitcher. True. Conventional wisdom. Absolutely. I've heard Buck and Tabby say it 5,000 times. Right. And so Robbie Ray, for the better part of his, I'm oh, sorry, Robbie Ray, Kevin Gossman, for the better part of his career, threw his slider about 15% of the time, somewhere in that range. And his splitter in the 20-ish percent of the time range. The last three years, he's thrown his splitter 40% of the time. He barely throws his slider at all, 6% or less, and he throws fewer fastballs. So he's basically fastball splitter. And when you can locate them, as he seems to be able to do, that makes it really hard on hitters when the splitter is as good as his. 
Yeah, I think the the conventional wisdom comes from the idea that um, most pitchers do not have a pitch so elite that it misses bats even when hitters know it's coming, right? Yeah, and he gets swings like when, when hitters swing at his splitter, they miss it forty five percent of the time. And you got to figure they know it's coming half of the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you just take his whole, whether they take it or not, like well, no matter what they do, they still swing and miss at twenty five percent of his splitters, even if you include the ones they take. That's an elite swing and strike rate on a pitch. It's truly special. Yeah. So um, conventional wisdom also says, let them beat you with your best pitch. Though I don't think pitchers always are able to embrace that, uh, you know, in their heads. No, and I do think that goes back to that whole thing of conventional wisdom where it's like, well, you're not supposed to pitch this way. Right. Especially like we even modern thinking, it's like, well, every right handed pitcher needs to have a good slider because the slider is sort of the in vogue pitch. He doesn't. I mean, he actually, a slider isn't bad, but it's just not, it's not consistent enough. He's not good enough with it. He still uses it occasionally. Obviously, it's, you know, 6% isn't zero, but he just realized that he had these two very, very good pitches and he was going to throw them more. And he throws enough strikes that, you can get away with that. Like when we talked about this when we Jay signed Kirby Yates last year, the level of control that he had to be a guy who throws a fastball and a splitter, you need to have control because as we saw with Rafael Dolis, you can have a great splitter, but if you can't throw strikes, it doesn't help you. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and this is not a guy, like you said, this is not a guy who's ever walked people. He's, he's only once walked more than three people, uh, three batters per nine innings. So he didn't lose any of that by adding his splitter to the mix. He continues to not walk anybody uh, egregiously and strike out a lot more people. So why the heck not keep going this way? So in the context of the his age, 30 season, and the length of the contract, how do you feel about it overall is the real question. So he'll be age 31 season actually when he starts because right, he sorry. turns 31 in January. I'm pretty good with it. I think that just like any discussion of when we were talking about potential things for Robbie Ray, there is some regression built into the contract because I mean, look, Gossman had his best year of his career in his contract year, right? Mm -hmm. He had a, he had a blip in his stuff when the sticky stuff came in, although his stuff rebounded in September. So I'm not really worried about that, but, and he's pitching in the NL in a hitter's in a pitcher's park. So all these things that could say his numbers could get worse are built into this deal because a guy who pitches the way Kevin Gossman did, if you think he's going to keep doing that, he's not getting paid 22 million a year. He's getting paid $35 million a year. Right. Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say uh, sixth in, in Cy Young voting, uh, led the league in starts. Um, yeah, uh, you know, a whip of 1.04, uh, a constantly trending down hits per nine. I, yeah, that guy, if that guy is, Okay, if if Kevin Gossman has this this season in his age 25 season, he's getting paid, I presume, $35 million a year. Yeah, for nine years or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and th this is just the kind of thing. with This free agent market was very weird because we'll, we'll get into this in a little more depth in a bit. But the only sure thing really is Marcus Stroman because he's the same pitcher every single season. Yes, disturbingly so. 
yeah, and even Max Scherzer, who signed this ridiculous contract, which again we'll get to in a bit, he had you know he's older, and he had some dead arm at the end of the last season, and then you had Gossman and Ray who are coming off career years. So the nice thing about that is if you believe this is real, as I'm assuming the Blue Jays do, you get massive surplus value. As long as he doesn't crater, the contract is still good. Because if you think about it, like Jose Barrios' extension, Jose Barrios has never had a season as good as Kevin Gossman just had. Right. And that was the value for him. So I, I'm happy with the deal. I, I don't. He's not an ace. I don't. I don't think he's going to be an ace. But I think he's a very solid number two. And you combine him with another number two in Barrios and another number two in Manoa and potentially another number two in Hyunjin Ryu. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's a pretty good foundation for a rotation. So I'm yeah, happy if, with that. if your objective in the rotation is to end up with the lowest number of pitcher value possible, i.e., you know, all all number ones and twos. <laughs> yeah, the Blue Jays are in great shape, even without a number one. Um, because I mean, the Blue Jays ages ago tried a number one and uh, and four number fives, and it didn't. It never panned out. So I would much no. rather be in their current position. Speaking of that, this was going to be my final thought, but what the heck? You just alluded to it. Kevin Gossman wears number thirty-four in honor of Roy Halladay, his favorite pitcher growing up. So that's kind of a cool connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm curious if that is. Is is part of the sent? Is there a sentimental reason that he's coming to the Blue Jays, you know, at, at this point in his career? Um, well, he he said this in the past actually. When the Jays tried to get him last year, he said he really likes the city of Toronto, and he made his major league debut in Toronto. And he, but he just decided last year it's like the 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 qualifying offer was just a better deal. Obviously, it turned out to be three years and forty million, or what turned out to be. Six years and 128 million. I think he won that that bet. But yeah. I, I he, think anytime you can pitch another year in San Francisco, <laughs> when you're trying to find your value, it can't hurt, right? Yeah, unless you get like blown away with an offer. If the Jays had offered him three years, 50 million bucks, he probably takes it just because the risk reward changes. Yes. But uh, anyway, yeah. So he he seems to really like the city, and obviously this team is very very good. So anyway, yeah, it's great. Um, so that means, I mean, we, we know that Robbie Ray uh, signed with Seattle, right? Did yes. I read that? Yeah. So, th I mean, that that was Ray's departure. I would say it was obviously a foregone conclusion when the Gosman signing was announced. Correct. Because the Blue Jays are going to to spend money here, but does in any world does it make sense to try and spend money on both Gosman and Ray? There's a world where it makes sense, but I think the issue that would have come up if they tried to spend it on both of them, because theoretically they have the room in their budget from all the numbers we've heard, to sign both of them. The problem isn't this year, it's 2022, or 2023, 24, 25, 26. If you have all these guys locked in for five years, if something goes wrong, you really are in trouble, especially as Vlad and Bo and Teoscar and... and uh, and Manoa start to get expensive, you you know, you can't be locked into these guys as they're getting into their mid thirties all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, totally makes sense because you, you, you're, you're trying to mitigate your risk profile across different kinds of players at different ages. Um, and, yeah. And, and like you, you alluded to the, the two guys both coming off their career year at about the same age, 
yeah, probably not both are going to pan out. There's a chance of that, right? Um, sure. So I, I think I'm going to miss Robbie Ray mostly because of the pants, but also because of the the, the pitching. <laughs> but I, I think seeing seeing what Kevin Gaussman can do is is going to be a lot of fun as well. Because again, he's he's a different pitcher than the one we saw in the Baltimore uniform. Yeah, and I want to just address quickly just some of the disparity in the contracts here because people are naturally going to compare them because one signed for five years, one ten, and the other one I think it was five years, one fifteen. On the surface, those sound very similar. But the biggest difference is that Robbie Ray has an opt-out in his contract after three years. And that's not a contract that Jays can be afforded to be giving out because the window that they have right now, Barrios is controlled for at least five years, Manoa for five years, Bo for four years, Vlad for four years, Springer for five years. This is their window where they have this roster. And you can't be having another situation where your ace potentially bolts into free agency and you have to scramble to fill it. So that would have been a non-starter for the Jays to begin with. And then you put it, you get in the situation where it's like they knew they wanted one of these guys. And if Ray wasn't ready to make the decision and Gossman was, you can't wait on hoping to get Ray and then potentially miss on both of them. Yeah. Yeah, you 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 have to play, you have to dance with, with the one who is ready to make a decision. Uh, if you consider them essentially even close to one another and you've got the, the seven years or sorry, the five years guaranteed from, from uh, Gaussman. Yeah. I, I don't see, there's no reason in the world you wait on Ray just to see what he's going to say. No. And one last thing, just because we do have to address this. You mentioned it, you hinted on it. He's led the league in starts twice. He's thrown 180 innings or more three times. And one year he threw 179 and two thirds. The Jays have this with Barrios, and now they have this with Gossman. This idea of durable starting pitching who go deep in games, because as the CBA rules might change, the opener strategy or using these pitchers in these weird ways might be a lot harder to do. And even going into next year, you can only have 13 pitchers on your roster. You can't carry 10 relievers and a two-man bench if you want, like they've been able to do the last couple of years. So having starters who can go deep in games, I think, is a value that while it seemed to be going away, I think is going to be coming back. Uh, we shall see. Because we've, we're hearing already about expanded playoffs, but that that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, you wanted to talk about just the general philosophy here of of how the Jays are going about filling out the roster. When, when they knew what they had in Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray, but neither of those guys uh, were brought back to the Blue Jays. Yeah, so one of the things that you often find with teams that are in a situation like the Blue Jays is this idea that you've got to basically like you've got to get the gang back together, right? It's like you, we were really good, we just missed, like we're we're going to bring these guys back and then try to get even better. We got to add another guy. And what that ends up invariably doing is you end up sort of hamstringing yourself in in your roster building. It's like if you if you're so tunnel visioned that you ignore potential alternatives like what like we, we just addressed with the Gossman situation. And there was regression likely to happen from both Semin and Ray. So if you try to replace the production elsewhere, you can actually mitigate some of that risk too. Not and this isn't even talking about the qualifying offers and them getting two draft picks because yeah, that's nice, but I don't think that was the driving factor here. No. 
Absolutely. So, yeah, and, and so Ross Atkins and I think Bo, and Mark Shapiro both addressed this at the end of the season. The goal is to just get better. And I think and Shapiro specifically said we don't have to bring back any of these guys, Matts, Semi, and, and Ray, and they didn't. <laughs> They're all gone, and they just needed to get better, and that's what they're trying to do. And you know, Gossman's a really good start. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think you're right that that um, sometimes teams get hung up on the idea that it was these players and it's it's no it's this talent level that you're trying to reproduce you're not trying to reproduce these players and i think especially looking at the blue jays core that is going to be here regardless uh because of their team control um i don't think you i don't think your clubhouse culture really changes that much year over year when uh, vlad and Bo and springer are going to be here for the next five years right and barrios too right yeah yeah. And, you know, and this is this other concept that I've seen mentioned a few times, uh, not from, I, I, thankfully, this is sort of going away, but the idea that the Jays have to replace 45 home runs from Marcus Semien or, you don't, I mean, that's nonsense. You have to replace his overall production in a sense, right? And there's also a thing that doesn't really get mentioned. I might actually mention it myself on the last podcast, but if you just look at Marcus Semien's wins above replacement, even if you take that as gospel, even though it's an approximation, it's still a flawed number as it relates to the Blue Jays because it forced Kevin Biggio to third where he was a negative player relative to where he would be at second. <laughs> so if the Jays get a good third baseman who provides a little less than Semien, but it shifts Biggio back to second base where he's comfortable, then that actually could be equivalent production. Yeah. I mean, you... We, you have to consider the entire roster when you're considering how a player affects affects things. And yeah, I think that's totally legit. Uh, speaking of the roster, we 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 are going to I think step down now from the a hundred million dollar plus people um, on other teams and on the Blue Jays down to um, let's just say Yimmy Garcia, who we don't want to overlook here. Uh, the Blue Jays had a bullpen that for certain periods of time last season was an absolute tire fire. So uh, obviously, Simber Richards are back, um, which was already a big help. But how does a guy like Yimmy Garcia fit in? So I think he's going to be firmly in that back of the bullpen mix. And we're talking about a guy who, again, strikes out a lot of people, doesn't walk a lot of people. It seems to be a pattern here. <laughs> he has a... <clears throat> Sorry. I had a little <laughs> something in my throat. <laughs> he has an elite spin, fastball and curveball, and he's got a good slider. And if you look at his numbers, he put up a 3.47 ERA with Miami and then 5.48 with Houston. But he actually pitched better with Houston than with Miami. His walkway dropped, his strikeout rate went up, rate went up. He just had horrible sequencing. Instead of runners getting on base with two outs, they were getting on base with nobody out, and you know runners would score or relievers would let his runners in. He's not going to be an elite, an elite shutdown reliever. That's not who he is, but he will add reliability to the back of the pen, which is what this team desperately needs. Yeah, a, a lot of the times the team got burned uh, 
this this last year was a combination of walks and home runs. Now, I know you can't just build a bullpen going, oh, don't let's not do that anymore because that's everybody's looking for for that. But um, there is something to be said for uh, the pitcher who does not allow free free passes a lot. Um, be, even if he's struggling, he's probably not going to hand off the same kind of disaster to the next guy to come in. Yeah. And we, I guess we should talk about the contract they actually gave him. It's a, it's a two year deal for $11 million has a $5 million option on the back end that can vest to $6 million. If he throws 60 innings or 60, there's a bunch of different vests and signing bonuses and, and, and uh, escalators and stuff in there. But Basically, it's a five-year, it's a two-year, eleven million-dollar deal. I was amused by the sixty-inning thing because he's exceeded sixty innings precisely once in his career, as far as I can tell. <laughs> it was like yeah, if, but, it, but it's also were... sixty innings or appearances, so he's done that twice, and in in the last two full major league seasons, because obviously twenty twenty he didn't do that. Oh yeah, naturally. No, I I, I was just like, oh, you're so you're close. Uh, but it, it's it's one of those, okay, if you're as good as you've ever been or better, we'll pay you a little bit more, which is like, okay, I, I guess it's, uh, if you can get that escalator in your contract, you get it in your contract. Yeah, and what's actually notable about this contract, it's the first multi-year deal the Blue Jays have given to a free agent reliever since BJ Ryan. Really? Yep. <clears throat> oh, oh, so other ones have been one with an option? Okay, because I was thinking uh, Shun Yamaguchi. No. Well, Sun Yamaguchi wasn't a reliever, so he actually got okay. he did get a two-year deal, but he was a swing man that they brought in intentionally initially with the plan to potentially start him. You know, mistakes but, happen, Josh. I think that's what we're. <laughs> well, just... they sure do. Okay, but here, here here's the list of the last five that they've done, which was helped Ian Hunter uh, at Blue Jay Hunter helped with this list since 1991 they've done five of them including Yimmy Garcia the last one BJ Ryan had a great year injured good year injured again <clears throat> two out of the five years he was useful Kerry Leitenberg terrible then released Randy Myers terrible was released on waivers and then never pitched again <laughs> in the second he never even made to the second year of the contract and Ken Daly signed a three-year deal in 1991 and pitched five innings. Mistakes happen, Josh. <laughs> well, I'm just saying the bar isn't very high for Yimi <laughs> Garcia to be at least the second best multi-year free agent signing in the last 30 years. And he probably cost about the same as Ken Daly. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, let's hope that he does indeed provide an adequate value for what is what is a modest contract even though it is a unusual multi-year free agent deal for the blue jays uh multi-year reliever free agent deal um the other name listed among seven minor league signings that i found notable today and i even texted you because i was happy about it david phelps coming back baby yeah i hope his arm is in one piece uh i know it's like a lat strain right yeah, I love this move. I think that this is the kind of thing that can really elevate the Blue Jays because there's no downside to it. It's a minor league deal. He, if he makes the roster, he gets $1.75 million. And if he reaches certain games played, innings bonuses, or uh, thresholds, he gets another $1.75 million potentially. If David Phelps is healthy, he's great. 
it makes the bullpen super deep. I mean, we saw it last year. We saw it the first time he was in Toronto in 2019. Yeah. And he's been great consistently as a reliever since since he turned into a reliever in 2016 when, he, when the Yankees stopped using him in the rotation. And if he's hurt, then they owe him nothing. They don't even owe him a roster spot. Yeah. And considering the injury did not appear to be an arm injury, I, I have a reasonable... Uh, I mean, this this is come rehab on our dime in our facility, and if you're the guy you were last year, you get a spot. It's a no brainer, and for him, I think it's it's uh, an assurance. Again, with the CBA thing, which we're about to talk about, I think it's an assurance that he does have a contract and some and a team that is willing to take a serious look at him. Um, you know, going into spring training rather than trying to hunt around for a job, which I think a lot of guys have had trouble with even good, good relievers have had trouble with over the past three or four years in, under this CBA of, of convincing teams to sign them as, as spring training goes on. Especially guys in Phelps, situation who missed the last five months of the season with an injury. It's one thing if you're, I don't know, an elite closer, right. And who missed the season, you know, you're a guy who's with, he's healthy would have been pulling in 30, $40 million in a contract. David Phelps wasn't doing that when he was healthy. He signed for three million bucks. So this was last year. He signed for three million. So this way, he gets to be in an organization that he knows values him, and he knows if he shows himself to be healthy, will absolutely give him a roster spot because they know how good he can be. I mean, they've already done it twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's security on both sides. You know, in terms of of certainty and. Uh, and not like you said, there's no there's no lose in this situation because they don't owe him anything uh, other than you know let it, uh, time to rehab as he needs to. Yeah. So this whole flurry of free agent activity, um, which is so unusual for baseball, but seems a whole lot like every other sports free agency period. Other sports have salary caps. Um, is due. To this expiring CBA. Explain this to me. Explain to me why everyone is rushing to get under this wire. Because uh, obviously I didn't understand it last week, Josh. Yeah, well, this is just my perception, obviously. There's a worry that this CBA will shut things down for a while. Two months, maybe even three months. And then there could be this mad scramble for people to fill their rosters and the players have decided they don't want to be part of that. They, and that this deadline, the, the GMs see the same thing. And so it just forced everybody to essentially be realistic with their offers. It's like you, when was the last time you saw a 10 year, $325 million deal in November? Uh, never. Right. Exactly. That's the correct answer. I mean, there've only been a couple of deals in that stratosphere ever, but that kind of deal. And, but these guys are like, okay, well, we want to know where we're going to be. We're going to want to know what our financial situation is going to be. And the teams also want to have some time to be flexible with their moves. It's like, like, for example, the Blue Jays, right? They know they've got Garcia and Gossman. Okay. Yeah. Now they can look at player X, Y, Z, trade X, Y, Z, and take whichever one works best. If you're in a two-week scramble for the roster, you can't do that. 
And so yeah. we end up with this this kind of situation where everybody's making moves in the last 10 days, five days even. So yeah, you still end up with a mad scramble, um, but then there's there's a tail period to the mad scramble where you can clean your clean up house if you're a team and figure out what you what holes you still have to need to fill. Whereas let's say uh, the season gets delayed till you know season start till May fifteenth. Spring training is going to be in April, uh, like end of April, uh, some kind of camp, and everybody's going crazy. You don't, you, yeah. You, you're as you're if you're a player, you don't even know where you you get a house to live in to rent or whatever else, and you're going crazy with your family, and um, and then on the flip side, you're a team and you're like, oh, I don't know where I'm going to come up with a second baseman in two weeks, and I wasn't allowed to talk to anybody for the last six months. Yep, exactly that, and 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 then the difference is between the deadline then versus the deadline now. If you don't sign now, well, you still get that extra window in the back end to do something. Like Carlos Correa has not signed a contract yet. He might in the next day or so, but it's unlikely at this point. That's fine. He gets to wait and then do it when they resume. Yeah, and there's, so a, chance, there's a chance that, that whatever conditions they come in under, Correa is going to have a bigger payday because of how the next CBA is structured, right? That That is the other gamble if you're – if you're willing to roll the dice on that, which is what we thought most guys were going to roll the dice on. Because there are things about this CBA that are not particularly favorable to the players. Sure. Yeah. Although it doesn't really apply as much to people who've reached free agency. So that's, I guess that's why that's working out that way. Ah. And <laughs> there's this idea that maybe MLB should put in a deadline of some kind. Not a firm deadline, but one that masks, that mimics this, where if you don't sign by a certain date you can't sign until a later date to force people to to two things one to be realistic right off the front what they're negotiating instead of dragging things out into february for no reason and also to let people have a period to not be going full out constantly trying to do this so they can recover and think better and more clearly I'm not opposed to the concept. I think that it could potentially hurt the middle class of free agency a little bit, but the middle class of free agency is doing great right now, so I don't even know if I have a leg to stand on there. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to have a, a null a null signing period. Like, from December 15th until February 1st, you cannot sign a contract. Yeah. So that everyone who had signed before knows where they're playing, knows what arrangements they need to make, can talk to their team about what's going on, you know, in terms of, of uh, arrangements that need to be made. And all those people who haven't can still chill out, relax. And then when, when that next February, when, you know, whatever, I'm just saying February 1st, hypothetically, when February 1st hits, it's like, okay, we've had time to consider a position. We've seen how, what the playing field looks like. This is what we need to do before spring training happens. Um, but in the meantime, everybody, I, 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 the only thing I can see is that, then the focus is off of baseball for six weeks. Does baseball? That's care? true. No, that, that well, the thing is, well, if they're going to lock us out, lock them. Lock, no, rather lock us. Yeah. Out, like we're involved. Lock the players out. They don't. But <laughs> good, good news. The podcast will continue uh, at least in extra pellet sense, um, even if the players are locked out, because Josh and I have the keys to our own houses. Yeah, um, I just want to say one more thing though. People complain about how. MLB's free agency is not like the other sports. 
Now, the reason that's the case is because the other sports have salary caps and there's limited dollars, so the best players want to take their dollars as fast as possible. This has mimicked that. This, I mean, the last week has been absolutely crazy with giant free agent deal after giant free agent deal left and right. It's actually really exciting, and I think that the average person, average is a weird word to use, that most people would prefer this to baseball news all winter long where nothing happens for three months anyway. I, I really do not, as a fan, enjoy three to four weeks of uh, what sounds like some sort of romantic entanglement while one team pursues X, Y, or Z free agent, and that free agent is involved with teams X, A, B, and C. Um, so yeah, I prefer this as well. I mean, we know everybody's going to land somewhere, right? All the big free agents, no, nobody's going to... Carlos Correa is not on uh april 1st uh going to be standing with no uniform on his back you know no. selling hot dogs <laughs> everybody knows he's gonna sign <laughs> so just get it over with as long as he gets a fair deal yeah cool uh on that note we are going to take a brief break and then we are going to come back with inquiries from uh the peanut gallery also known as questions from our listeners 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Um, you know, I apologize for referring to everyone as the peanut gallery, which is slightly nicer than the cheap seats, but regardless. <laughs> we, we appreciate you being here. And as such, we will uh, proceed to answer your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? I mean, to be fair, we don't charge for any of the seats to the podcast in the strictest sense, so they're, <laughs> they're all cheap. Um, first question, Mimico at Mimico Lake says, if the Jays land Kikuchi, do you think Pearson is gone in a trade package for an infielder? This, this presumes a lot of things, this question, Josh. Well, so there, there's a context for this. John Heyman had tweeted out that the Blue Jays were in discussions for you, say, Kikuchi. And John Heyman is Boras's mouthpiece, so... You can read that one of two ways. Either the Blue Jays are in serious talks for Yusei Kikuchi or that Scott <laughs> Boras wants a bigger market for Yusei Kikuchi. But let's play the hypothetical, hypothetical out. <clears throat> Maybe. <laughs> That's the answer. I think there's a real value in using Pearson as a swing man who pitches as a multi-inning reliever or fills in when Ryu needs a day an extra day, you can just throw Pearson in there and let him start and go four or five innings. That said, if it takes Nate Pearson to get Jose Ramirez and you have Yusei Kikuchi as your number five, you trade Nate Pearson to get Jose Ramirez. Yeah. I mean, Nate, Nate Pearson, I don't think Nate Pearson has a huge value at this exact moment because he has still not exactly proven what he can be at the major league level, which is unfortunate both for the Blue Jays and for Nate Pearson. But I do think that he, again, this is pure, I have no inside knowledge here, that his value is higher than some Blue Jays fans might perceive it. 
because his injury was diagnosed that it was a hernia and he's had surgery to repair it. And he did come back even with the hernia and pitch very well down the stretch. So he showed that he was healthy. We, we shall see, but probably not in the sense of uh, being traded for an infielder because the Jays planned to Kikuchi. Unless, as we said, John Heyman is just reporting the facts as he sees them. Uh, Marks Burley at Trilly Mopena asked, which of Barrios, Gaussman, or Ray will be the best over the next five seasons? And in a related question, do you think Shapiro or, and Atkins will have trouble doing their jobs from jail once they are convicted of straight up robbing Jose Barrios? <laughs> <laughs> now we make um, the jokes here you ask the questions <laughs> so one thing we should just before we answer this um we we didn't get to this in the last podcast because it was announced later he has an opt-out after five years but the contract is so heavily backloaded in the last two years that if he opts out he's leaving a lot of money on the table so either he's really good and the jays get him for super cheap for five years or he opts out. So basically, if he opts out, the Jays are doing just fine. It's a weird scenario where the opt-out actually would be not that bad a bad thing for them. Yeah. Um, which of those three will be the best over the next five seasons? I think, you know, future telling aside with the tea leaves and such, I think in terms of consistency, Barrios is the safest bet, even though he might not be um, he might not be the, the shiniest pitcher uh, in the drawer of those three. I think the fact that he has been so consistent is younger. Um, a lot younger. Yeah, a lot younger. I mean, it, it seems to make sense to me that I would I would bet on the guy who's done the same thing over and over and over again, rather than the two guys who are uh, coming into their own, but definitely not a guaranteed thing. Yeah, I agree. And I don't wow. think it's robbery, by the way, in this contract. Uh, if you look no. at the deals that Gaussman and Ray just got, Barrios got a better one, or similar one at least. And I don't think he's better than either of them necessarily. So, and he wasn't negotiating in a free market. So I think it was a pretty fair extension, actually, all things considered. Yeah, because one of those years was an arbitration year of the of the seven years that we're talking about, which changes yep. the, the tint of things quite a bit. Uh, Ewan Ross at Mentalk asks, do you expect him to trade a catcher to clear a spot for Moreno? Uh, Gabriel Moreno, catcher of the future. Um <laughs> <laughs> this is another question that presumes a lot of things. I love these questions. <laughs> do you? Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, I, I do think that the Jays are going to need to go to the trade market to address one of their needs, whether that's a corner infielder or a second baseman or a, another starting pitcher. One of them. I don't think they can get them all through free agency. And I think that Kirk is the most logical trade piece they've got if they're trading off the big league roster because – he has value as a catcher with a lot of control who's got an obvious upside in his bat. And the Jays have Jansen and Maguire and Moreno who's basically ready. So, yeah, I, I would I expect that to happen. I kind I really kind of hope it doesn't because I really like Kirk, but I think it might. Um, Al at Ellie Eliard asked a question which about Gaussman, which I hope, Al, that you've noticed that the first, what, 15 minutes of the podcast were pretty much devoted to answering your question inadvertent. So... Uh, we didn't ignore you um, there, you, uh, but you have your, your answer, which is uh, Gaussman got better. Um, David at D Shemi eight says, how would you approach the infielder need at this point in the offseason? Would you prefer targeting free agencies, free agencies, free agents or going for a, <laughs> a J Ram or Chapman? Well, 
I think this <laughs> this is the contextual question again. If they can get Kikuchi, for example, a hundred percent trade because the free agent corner infielders or infielders period that are any good are all going to cost a ton. I mean, yeah, you get Kyle Seager, who's not bad, but you want a higher ceiling, I think, than that. And, you know, you're not going to get Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, or Carlos Correa for anything in the six figures. Or, no, sorry, seven, no, six figures. You better get them from the six figures. <laughs> anything in the eight figures, it's just not going to happen. They're all going to be nine-figure deals. So I think that it's going to be a trade unless they can – trade for a pitcher, in which case then it make then you could try to sign one of those guys. Uh, I think uh, that signing the pitcher and trading for the infielder is the easier play though. Yes. Uh Brian Donnelly. Uh one more. Actually two more. He just keeps asking questions. Uh or no you keep you keep faving them in a in a strange order. Just saw Robbie Ray turn five years <laughs> one fifteen Think the Jays could have had him and Gossman in the books for their respective terms, or was it as soon as they got Gossman, then Ray was Ray going was a foregone conclusion? We discussed that earlier. Ray going was a foregone conclusion because of their similar yep. profiles. Uh, then, is, is there a third one? No. No, just okay. two. One more. How surprised are you at the sheer columns of activity before the CBA deadline? I like the columns of activity as a phrase. Um, I am shocked. I did not think this many people, as we have alluded to, would, would want to lock into to the deal. But again, I guess, like you, you said, once you've reached free agency, there's nothing wrong with, with the kind of deals that can get handed out under the CBA. It's, it's a bunch of things that happened before free agency that aren't so great. Said yeah, qualifying uh, offer. Yep. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, obviously, we discussed this as well in the first part. We are both surprised. But we both probably shouldn't be. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. Now that we've had a hot minute to think about it. Uh, ben Tusim at B Tusim. Uh, this just came to my head now. Had there ever been a Cy Young winner who didn't make the All-Star team before Robbie Ray? And immediately okay, Josh thought of one. <laughs> ben, not only has there been a Cy Young winner who didn't make the All-Star team before Ray, there's been a Cy Young winner who appeared on this podcast <laughs> who didn't make the All-Star team before Robbie Ray. It's happened 22 times, including Pat Henkin in 1996, who did not make the All-Star team. And then Juan Gonzalez won the MVP, didn't make the All-Star team either. It was a very weird year. But yeah, so one of one Cy Young winners who appeared on this podcast <laughs> did not make the All-Star team. I think that falls under... Very strange self-promotion, Josh, but I'm I'm gonna allow it. <laughs> hey, it was a great episode. People should go listen to it if they haven't. Yeah, absolutely. I have no idea what number it was because we did not discuss this ahead of time. Um, <laughs> Scotty Barnes stand account at Split Letters asks: Were you surprised with how similar the Ray Gaussman deals were? Also, what is going on with Texas? Triple question mark. I don't get it. Big money moves, but there's hardly any other good players there. Um. <laughs> I'll answer the Texas question first. I don't know. If they were going to do all that, why did they trade Joey Gallo? Right? <laughs> I don't... Like, their lineup was, sucks. He was right there. <laughs> you had so, him. They've spent 500 and... I think it's 50-something million. I can't remember what John half, Gray got. Half a billion dollars. You know. more than that because it's five half billion just on the two guys but john gray got five years 50 something million or something like that or 60 million but after signing those 
two pitchers and one starter. They now have, or sorry, two two infielders and one starter. They now have two infielders and one starter who are any good. <laughs> <laughs> this okay. is going to be my final thought. I didn't know we had a question about this, but <clears throat> I don't get teams that do this in free agency. You're locking into all these extreme contracts, including for Mark. Like I get Seager a little bit because he's so young, but Mark Simeon is 31. It's like they're not going to be good next year. They're not going to be good the year after that. <clears throat> like this, why not just wait and get a better player, younger player then? This reminds me very much of the Mariners uh, doing the let's make 400 trades each offseason and not get any better from about four or five years ago. And the San Diego Padres tendency to uh, ramp up and then realize they don't have a winning team round about middle of July and then sell off a bunch of pieces because they realize it's going to be really expensive and then like lather, rinse and repeat for the next year. So maybe it's just something that gets into executives heads is that they need to make a move and and the easy move is to spend a whole lot of money. Oh, and especially when they get told that they can spend the money from their ownership, right? Yeah, because if that budget might not be there next year. But seriously, that team's bad. I think they're still the worst team in the AL West, and they just spent $600 million. Nice. Uh, <laughs> you go get yours, Marcus. Um, were we surprised with how similar the Ray Gaussman deals were? I don't think we were, A, because we didn't think they were 100% similar due to that opt-out. Uh, and B, in some ways, they profile as similar risks. Will, at Will, double underscore Brom, who are some of the targets you'd like to see the Jays potentially add to their infield position? Like me, just personally, I would like to see Carlos Correa, but. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I'd like to see. However, uh, what would the Blue Jays like to see? I, I think we're, as you alluded, we're looking at a, probably a trade for the infielder for some of the surplus assets the, the Blue Jays have. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's possible that they just decide to go with Kyle Seager and maybe upgrade at second base somehow, or I, I don't really know what the plan would be. But it really does seem like there are better high-end options available in trade that won't cause the same problems that we talked about before, where their budget just gets totally tied up in too few players. I mean, Carlos, like you said, Carlos Correa would be great. I, so would Chris Bryant. <laughs> yeah. But... I think it's going to be they're going to go hard at Jose Ramirez. If they can't get him, they'll go hard at Cattell Marte. If they can't get him, they'll go for Matt Chapman. I think that that's the we're going to try to play. And and then if they can't get those guys, they'll circle back to the Kyle Seegers and of the world, that kind of guy. Uh, DJ Levitan at DJ Levitan. That's not easy to do. Um, I want to hear some hot takes on what the playoff format should be. So this is coming from a, a report from Jeff Passan that their plan their latest CBA proposal had a thing where seven teams make the playoffs in each each league the first place team overall gets a bye the two the two remaining division winners wait no three remaining division winners wait i did that wrong completely didn't i there's only three yeah. divisions <laughs> yeah that's a hardcore hmm. weird things so happen must have been the two remaining division winners and the top wildcard team get to pick their opponent, and then they host them for three games, and then the winner of the winners of those go into the division series. I when hate does everyone it. get when does everyone get a free taco, Josh? Because it sounds like that somehow. When you steal involved. second base in the World <laughs> Series, come on. <laughs> um, so, one of these things that 
the, the, the problem with that is that it encourages competition, not on the high levels. Like you get a situation where it's like the Rangers are like, yeah, we can throw all this money and try to be mediocre and make the playoffs. And then you get teams like the Yankees and Red Sox who are like, meh, we're going to make it no matter what under this format. And we're not probably not going to be good enough to win number one overall. So what difference does it make? Yeah. I also hate the idea of the play-in series like that. Here's what I would do. And I've said this on Twitter. I stand by this. If you insist on going to seven playoff teams from each league, which I still don't like, it's three division winners and four wild cards. The four wild cards play a two-day single elimination tournament. So it's like, so one plays four and two plays three, and then the winners play the winners, and that's the wild card. Right. So it only adds one day to the schedule over what they're doing right now, so it doesn't hurt the teams that are waiting, and it really makes winning the division important, which means because, te- teams will have the, to try the, to win the division. Because the pitching staff of those teams that are that get the wild card is absolutely eviscerated by the time it shows up dead uh, on the on the uh, deck of the uh, divisional series boat. And you got to win twice to get in now instead of once. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't wreck your bullpen in game one, you wreck it in game two. Lovely. I, I like that you uh, you punish mediocrity, Josh. Um, Damn right. I, honestly, I'm I have I do not support. I barely support what what we have now as a as a playoff format. But if you are going to insist upon adding teams to the playoffs, please, for the love of all that is holy, play a hundred and fifty or a hundred and fifty four game schedule. Do yeah. not make it longer. Give up some some gate, and if you're going to make the playoffs a big deal, why play 162 games? What's the point? Shave a percentage off, and then if you want your high-stress baseball to start happening, start it earlier and let it play out if you if you must. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I don't get where they're going with things because I, I think hockey is the most ridiculous sport. Season doesn't even start until May. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, Those two month off se- playoff seasons, like basketball. Yeah, like well, why play the regular season? What was the point of that? Um, Aiden Elash uh, has two questions. Uh, one: If Lourdes is traded this off season, who are some of your ideal replacements? Oh, sorry, at A M E A I D E N. Welcome to the podcast. Um, who are some of your ideal replacement options? Uh, Dickerson, Fam, Schwarber. Who, who's your outfielder? So if you're trading Lourdes, it's Schwarber or Conforto. It's easy. Pretty simple. Two guys who are potentially really good. If you're keeping Lourdes and looking for another outfielder, it's a guy like Dickerson. Because you don't want someone who needs to play every day, but you also don't want someone who is bad. <laughs> you know? And you want them to hit left-handed. It'd be him, Jock Peterson. I'd be, I would I wouldn't mind that. Who can cover center field if you need to. Uh, because and in this world, Grichuk is not around. So, yeah, those are the guys for me. Um, same from uh, from Aiden Elash. Go big in the bullpen with Iglesias or a Kimbrel type or a tier below. Um, I never, ever support spending Craig Kimbrel money in the bullpen when, especially in today's economy, chances are there is a dude who throws 100 miles an hour with some crazy breaking pitch uh, who cannot make it as a starter in your system right now. Just, just like, oh, I don't know, say someone named Nate Pearson, potentially. 
yeah, if you just need one inning, you can find that guy without spending twenty million dollars over two years or whatever the fuck you're gonna have to give a Kimball type. Yeah, I, I would love. If, I, I'm I'm with you. I'd rather them play in the in the world where they're going for Corey Knebel or. Colin McHugh, who can be a little bit more of a swingman. Joe Kelly, if he's healthy, I don't know if he is or not. Like that, those kind of guys, where there's still like you're still getting a guy who's got a bit of a track record of success, but you're not crazily breaking the bank to do it. Indeed, I think we agree. We agree a lot, though. Uh, Matt Thomas yeah. at Thomas. We should Matt's, argue more. Yeah, that's. I've heard that makes great radio. I should also be yelling. <laughs> I should yell all the time. Thank you, Colin Cowherd, for your inspiration. Um, Matt Thomas at Thomas Matt C says a lot of questions, some really good ones, but here is the best one in my opinion. And then he doesn't actually say a question. He just says, tell us more about your Patreon. <laughs> you <laughs> all, there's no question mark there, Matt. You only mentioned it once in the last year in the last show, as far as I can remember. And to that point, I didn't even realize you were even doing a Patreon anymore. Well, certainly not going to stop doing a Patreon uh, because you guys are awesome who are supporting us on the Patreon and we appreciate uh, all of that support makes life a little bit easier every time we sit down to do the show uh and which is why we threw out some extra content for you guys um this off season we're probably got another another one in us maybe even on free agents again uh talking about some of the wild free agent signings but we'll see um it is uh right up at the top of this this page here uh from our our twitter page patreon.com slash turf pod uh would you like to tell them anything else josh yeah, um, there's some some people who have donated at, at the level that allows them to come on and play games with us. I've sent a message out to a couple of you. I'm going to send another one out to all of you, and we'll have you back on again because in the off season there's not as much to do, so we may as well have a little fun. Yeah, chances are uh, it's not going to be swinging a drive. I apologize as much as as difficult as swinging a drive and fun as it could be. Um, there's a lot of Dan Schulman in the last season, and uh, it, and also and also swinging a drive when Buck's doing it remotely was just like he didn't, he didn't know what anything was. <laughs> um, I would also be remiss to to point out that we do have uh, an overall Patreon subscriber commitment uh, uh, dollar level that we are just shy of and have been just shy of for ages. So if you are inclined to support us in a financial way, you are going to uh, force us to hand out the reward of a live chat twice a month in the next season. So consider that as a possibility, <laughs> as a motivator, if you want to make us if actually work harder. anybody wants that. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Maybe maybe someone's going to drop out when they realize that there's going to be a live chat. They're like, no, I'm, I'm out. I can't. I can't take any more of it. Uh, but yeah, uh, cruise on over. Uh, we've had it for a while. Uh, we, like I said, we appreciate that. Um, we will get all of the names, I think, for the end of next episode properly. And I will, uh, I will send out the thank yous again, uh, as we, we should probably do more often as well. Uh, yeah. So, wow. You know what? I'm going to be real quick with this this gold star because I did not realize how long we took to answer questions. There were a lot of them. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gold star. That's this I think one. That's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Uh, gold star final thought is what I'm going to do here. It's going to be a combo number because, um, 
I think on behalf of Max Scherzer, I'm going to hand out to Stephen Matz and Kevin Gossman uh, a gold star because Max Scherzer had a market, I'm sure, but I do not know if it was $43 million a year until Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, got spurned at the last minute by not one, but two free agent pitchers in the last week. Uh, so he pretty much gave the entire farm <laughs> to Max Scherzer after Stephen Matz and Gaussman said, uh, yes, but no thanks while they were deep in negotiations. Uh, it was really funny actually. Cause he got all pissy about the agent, not coming back to them with Stephen Matz. And then like immediately he signs Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna and Starling Marte. And then they're going for Kevin Gaussman and he takes a lower offer by all reports from the Blue Jays. Like they offered more money than Mets did and he went to Toronto. So he's like, ah, 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 ah. here you go. Three years, a hundred and however many million to Max Scherzer. <laughs> so yeah, on behalf, on behalf of Max Scherzer and his, uh, I might add, due to his other contract with the Nationals, his $58 million a year paycheck upcoming in 2022. Uh, Three, two, and I'm two. 2022, a uh, $58 million a year uh, payday um, to him. I think he could probably afford it, but I'm just going to, I'm going to pass it on for Mr. Scherzer uh, to those two guys who, who irritated a rich owner, which is, uh, I mean, the best way to be. Um, yeah. So uh, a final thought from you, Mr. Housem. Yeah. Just as we are going forward, if there is no lockout or the next time the Jays are able to make moves, whenever that is, one of the interesting things is they got – I did sort of ignore it before intentionally where it wasn't the reason they chose Ray Gossin over Ray. But the Jays have received draft picks now for both Semyon and Ray leaving. What that will do is it will allow them to more easily make trades or sign someone who is a qualified free agent like a Conforto or if they decide to go for guys like Story or – well, you know, Korea, that's not going to happen. But or, or like Rice or Iglesias, if they want to go into that closer tier. So they still have incredible flexibility with the ways that they can finish this roster, which can be maddening because it means it could take longer for the moves to come. But it also means it's more likely the team will end up better. Yeah. Um, I like our team, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, throwbacks. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm. I'm happy that the Jays are going into this December 1st with, with that flexibility, knowing that even losing, you know, the draft picks that they picked up would just put them sort of back to zero, right? Yeah, well, back to if they back to one if they dropped, unless they got two. Yeah, of them. unless yeah. they got two. But, but you know, the, the worst they can end up is where they would have been uh, had they not extended the qualifying, uh, qualifying offer to anybody. Yeah, All technically right. they would lose a bit of international free agency bonus pool, $500,000 off of that, but it wouldn't be a huge issue no because there's no vlad in international free agency all right it's actually there is his brother <laughs> so this that's that's next show uh, uh this is to say that you have been joshua Housem at joshua Housem, and i have been greg wisniewski at coolhead 2010 and this this has been artificial turf wars episode number 225 and we will talk at you before the end Eventually. of the lockout yeah <laughs> <laughs>